0: Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you willingly gave him and he willingly came. That you loved us so much that you would not spare your only son, but yet give him up for us. And I thank you that he went to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins and he died for us. And I praise you that death could not hold him, that he rose from the dead. And Father, I thank you that because of your son Jesus, uh, we have salvation. And Lord, I thank you that you used your word to bring us into your kingdom. You called us personally through the gospel. And Lord, you use your word to grow us in respect to salvation. I pray as we look into it today that you would help us understand what you intended, that we would respond as you intended so that you would be glorified. We thank you for this time and commit it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what do you appreciate about your leaders uh, in the church? Is it uh, speaking ability? Is it uh, teaching style? Is it personality? Is it how they talk about Jesus or evangelism? What do you appreciate about your leaders? Well, today, as we're going through our look in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to see from this portion of Scripture... How the flock is to treat their shepherds. And more specifically, we're going to see how they are to, uh, respond, uh, concerning their leaders. Would you turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 13? And I find, you know, God's timing and sovereignty is amazing because after having a elder depart, we're ready to, to appoint another elder here and, and the timing of his, uh, of his, uh, his timing is great. So let's take a look at first Thessalonians chapter five. where we'll are looking at verses 12 to 13. Now we've been looking at the changed lives of the Thessalonians. They were changed by Christ. They turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. And the apostle Paul has shared with this church. He was with them less than three weeks, a young church in the Lord. And he's been away from them for less than a year. And he has learned of their spiritual condition through Timothy. And within that, uh, he has, uh, having been orphaned from them, he is concerned for them. And he sent Timothy to find out how they were doing in the faith and to strengthen and encourage them. And Timothy brought back a good report, and that is this letter that spawned this letter for the Apostle Paul to share. And so after the Apostle Paul sharing his thankfulness for their salvation, having defended the manner in which he came to them, sharing again his thankfulness to their response to Timothy and his concerns, we came to chapter 4, in which the Apostle Paul shifted gears and began to exhort these Thessalonians in their walk with Jesus Christ. Indeed, he encouraged them and us to excel still more in our walking and pleasing God, that they needed to be applying biblical instruction, understanding what God's will is for them. That they would be sanctified, set apart. And then he gave a specific example of being sanctified, set apart, abstaining from sexual immorality. And we saw that they were to excel still more in purity. And then we saw that they were to excel still more in love for the brethren. And then in the end of chapter 4, we saw they were to excel still more in hope. You see, these Thessalonians were waiting for Jesus Christ to come, and it was less than a year old, they were less than a year old in the faith, and some of their loved ones had died and passed away. They had passed away. And they were concerned. They were concerned about them. So the Apostle Paul shares the truth that at any time the Lord could come for his bride, the church, and that he would bring those first who had died and were with him, and their bodies would be resurrected. And if we were alive and remained at that time, we would be snatched up and brought to a reunion in the air with our loved ones to be with the Lord forever. Therefore, we were to encourage one another with these truths. And then in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul moved to a new subject as he addressed the concerns or their concerns concerning the day of the Lord. And he said that the day of the Lord would come, God's day of fierce wrath and judgment upon sin and sinners would come. And it would come unexpectedly and no one would escape. But yet we believers were not destined for wrath, but for obtaining salvation in the Lord. And therefore we should be living not as the night of the night, but as the day of the living according to the identity we truly have in Jesus Christ. And so we are to encourage one another with those tremendous realities of our upcoming hope in Christ that he's going to complete the job that he had started. So with that in mind, we come to the end of the book of 1 Thessalonians where we have basically 22 commands or instructions for us that roll through the rest of the book. And he begins today to look at the first basic commands for the church. And within that, we're going to see commands for how we are to treat our leaders in the body of Christ. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so I believe we're going to see today that we are to appreciate and respect those who faithfully lead you. Verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work live at or live in peace with one another now i want to make a few initial observations here of the overall structure of this passage you might have noticed that our verse begins with the term but it's a contrast it's not independent And the Apostle Paul has just declared declared the wonderful reality that we are not destined for wrath but for salvation. Therefore, verse 11, we are to encourage one another and build one another up, just as you're doing. So in light of the future, this is what you should be doing, but then he moves. But in light of that, in contrast, in the present, this is what you should be doing. With that future hope in mind, what are we to be doing in the present? He says here, but we request of you, brethren... That you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Then we'll look at the last part in the end of verse 13. So I want to give a little bit of the grammar first, so we understand how this passage is put together. Because that's how I want to share it. But notice he has this term, we request. And that is connected to two verbs, basically, that you appreciate, middle of 12, that you esteem, beginning of verse 13. We request these two things of you. That's what we request. And we request that of you, brethren. The command is for the body of Christ. It's for those who are say the church is for the body of Christ. Yes, a unbeliever might come in and hear the gospel and follow their knees, but the church is the body of Christ, and we are to be built up and go into the world. And so he says, "We request of you, brethren." Now, this term "request" speaks of asking, or entreating, or demanding, or even beseeching. It is a very strong request. We request, and then he has those two um, commands there, basically to to uh, appreciate and that you esteem. And in regards, it speaks speaking in regards to leadership. So, with that in mind, we have these requests here. Now, as we look at leadership, we're going to see from our passage and some other passages, what does biblical leadership in the church look like? And from that, we'll be able to understand who we are to appreciate and esteem and who we are not. There's very specifics here on who it is that is to be appreciated and esteemed. Now, with that in mind, what do godly leaders look like? Notice, first of all, he says in verse 12, but we request of you, brethren... That you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, one, two, have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. This is really important because we need to know what godly leadership really looks like. You're probably uh, probably all aware of the unfortunate state or state of the tragic uh, the tragic state of the church these days. A church bent on doing God's will by man's ways rather than according to the God's word being taught and the the church being built up. Now these errors do not arise from nowhere. They arise from within the leadership. That's where it comes from. So leadership is very, very important. Now certainly those who choose bad churches to have their ears tickled are responsible, and we'll see that later on, for their choices. But the leadership that is in a church needs to be biblical, and we're going to see what that looks like so that you can understand whether your church has biblical leadership or not. You can understand from Scripture. Now, with that in mind, there are so-called different leadership styles. I was taught this in seminary. There's the senior pastor. There's the, there's the CEO style. There's the democracy, uh, congregational. There's, uh, and then what we see is elder-led So with that in mind, we don't have enough time to go through all the passages, but I want to just share the reality that Scripture reveals that churches are to be led by elders. It's very clear. We're going to see that. We'll look at it just very briefly here. It's really not what I'm focusing on. This passage is not about uh, elders in a sense. It is about elders, but it's not about the specifics, and we'll look at some passages. But we need to understand from Scripture what this is. Now within that, there are a lot of passages that speak of elders in Scripture. Now, the term elders, as found in Acts 20, 1 Timothy 5, Titus 1, James 5, 14, 1 Peter 1 through through 5, the term elder here is presbyteros. And the word has many different meanings and contexts, but when it's used in these contexts, it's used to speak of spiritually mature men chosen by God to spiritually lead his church. And we'll talk about what that means. Well, you say, what about the term overseer or shepherd? It's important to realize that the term elder, presbyteros, and then the term overseer, episkopos, and shepherd, poimeno, are really used synonymously in Scripture. Take, for instance, Titus chapter 1. You could, I'll, I'll read it for you. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. He says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. Then he goes on to start giving the qualifications, and he says in verse 7, for the overseer must be, so he's using that, that term. And if we look in Acts chapter 20 and 1 Peter 5, we see that we have all three terms, shepherd, elder, and overseer. Acts 20, 17 to 28, and then 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. And there is good evidence that these terms are interchangeable, but yet they have different nuances of meaning. Now, I believe the term elder speaks more towards the office. Overseer speaks of the responsibility, and shepherd speaks of the duty. I think that's really, and it's kind of a little nuance there. Now, as to elders, Scripture is clear that they are appointed by the Spirit of God. Turn to Acts chapter 20 for a moment, and we'll keep your finger in there because we'll come back to that. Acts chapter 20. And this is the Apostle Paul saying farewell to the Ephesian elders. And within that we learn greatly uh, what God has to share for his church in regards to elders. Acts chapter 20 verse 17. He said, "In front from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And then uh, look down at verse 28, speaking to those elders. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Spirit of God is the one who appoints those as elders in the church. And you say, well, how does the Spirit of God appoint elders in the church? Well, from like we saw in Titus chapter 1 verse 5, the Spirit uses the agency of men who are submitted to Christ to use the qualifications in Scripture to see and point out and bring forth those who meet those qualifications. Actually, let's go to Titus chapter 1 and then we'll look at 1 Timothy and we'll briefly look at the qualifications. Titus chapter 1 verse 5. For this reason, I left you in Crete, assisted Titus, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. Well, we know from Acts 20 that the Spirit of God appoints the elders. Well, the Spirit of God, through the agency of man, submitted to Christ, points it. We see that here. Namely, and he gives some qualifications, that if any man be above reproach, a one, literally one woman man, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, Not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching that he may be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. There's the qualifications by the Spirit of God through the Word of God for elders. And then turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy 3. Paul writes, Timothy, and he says, verse 1, it is a trustworthy statement that if any man aspires to the office of overseer, now we see that God puts an aspiration in those whom he desires to be the the Spirit of God appoints to the agency of, of man via the qualifications of Scripture, and then there he gives a desire for those to do so. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer must be then above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, honorable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, But gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil." So we have the reality that God places men uh, in, through the agency of men, he places them in the body of Christ, gives them a desire, and he appoints them based on the qualifications of the word of God to be elders in the church. And then just really briefly, I'm going through this so fast, but just really briefly, what are elders to do? We'll see what they're to do from our passage later, but what about other passages, and then we'll get to our passage well, first of all, we're going to see that elders and the shepherding primarily has to do with feeding the sheep, with feeding the sheep. Well, you say, how can I say that? Well, if you look at this word to shepherd in Scripture in the Old Testament, and the New Testament counterpart, the majority of usages have to do with feeding God's flock. And on a side note, you look around, you see sheep. Every time I drive by the field over here, they're eating. They're eating every time. I always point out to my kids, look at their eating every time. So let's turn to Ezekiel 34 because we see the Lord's view of what shepherds are to do. Now, the shepherds of Israel were to be doing a certain thing. They were the leaders, but they were shepherds. And the Lord has to rebuke them because of what they were not doing, which shows us what those who are leading should be doing. Ezekiel 34 and you might remember this if you were here we went through this years ago Ezekiel 34 Then the word of the lord came to me saying son of man prophesy against the shepherds of israel Prophesy and say to those shepherds thus says the lord god Woe to you shepherds of israel who have been feeding themselves should not the shepherds feed the flock and he'll go on and talk about that later on, that they were dominated them. They didn't feed them. They, they didn't go after those broken and hurt sheep. They, didn't, they weren't shepherding. In the book of Jeremiah, and I'm not going to read it. I had it for you, but I'm not going to read it for time's sake. It talks about the Lord, that what he's going to do. He's going to give you shepherds who will give you feedings of feedings with knowledge and understanding. Once he's disciplined you, Israel, he's going to then give you those shepherds eventually when they come to faith. And in the New Testament, we see very clearly that shepherding has to do with feeding the sheep. Turn to John 21. And as you're turning there, think about it. Should not the shepherd be feeding the flock? I mean, is that not the duty? Now we're going to see there's other duties related to that, such as protection and, uh, what, and uh, seeking after those who are lost and hurt and addressing that. But should not the shepherds be feeding the flock? Look at John 21, verse 15, and this is when Peter is being restored after he denied the Lord and the Lord has been resurrected. John 21, 15, and notice this restoration because the Lord makes it really clear what Peter needs to do. John 21, 15, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He's going to say, if you love me, this is what you're going to do, Peter. And this is how you can tell if shepherds really love Jesus. No matter what they say, you can tell based on what Jesus says. Do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my lambs. Now, in the New King James, it says, feed my lambs. And that's a better translation, Bosca. The word literally means to feed. And we get that idea in terms of tending sheep. It has to do with feeding sheep. He says, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, now they're his lambs, Jesus' lambs, not the world, but his lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. Feed, shepherd, and then notice what he says again. He said in the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now most sermons make it about the love part, and that's true. He's talking about that. He's saying, if you love me, then do this. They don't add the second part. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, and he says it again, Tend or feed my sheep. Feed, shepherd, feed. He's talking about feeding. If you love me, Peter, you're going to feed my sheep. That is how Peter is restored. He says, feed, shepherd, feed. First Peter chapter 4, Peter got it. He understood it inspired by the Spirit. He said, if anyone speaks, let them speak as they were the utterances of God. If you've got a speaking gift, it better be God's word. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13 for a second. Hebrews 13, and we had this read earlier. Verse 7. And these Hebrew believers were were suffering, and uh, there were some who were identifying with them who weren't saved or who were ready to turn away. And he's talking to the believers here in these last commands as we read. He says in verse 7, remember those who led you, that's your leaders, who spoke the word of God to you. And considering the result of their conduct, do this, imitate their faith. He doesn't say, remember those who led you and spoke the word of God. He says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. That's how they led you. See, one thing we get mixed up in the church these days, and we'll see this later on, is the administration of the, the organization or whatever it's called versus the spiritual leading of the flock of God. Those are two separate things. And when we look at leadership in the church, it is talking about leading the people of god spiritually speaking now god has other gifts and those with other gifts to take care of the administrative realities of the body of christ we see that in acts chapter six and other places but this is speaking about leaderships so we get a little confused at churches these days but here he says remember those who led you who spoke the word of god to you the 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 biblical leadership and the proclamation of the word of God is inseparable. We're going to see that. We're going to see that. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You see, it's the word of God that the flock needs to survive spiritually. And think about it. If you have a, a, a father who lets his children starve to death and says all day long, I love you, I love you, I love you, but doesn't give them any food. Does he really love them? Should not the shepherds be feeding the flock? You might remember earlier in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he talked about the word of God which performs its work in you who believe. You see, it was God through his word who called us unto himself through the gospel. We were born again through the living and abiding word of God which was preached to you. And God uses that same word to make us adequate, equipped for every good work, Second Timothy 3.16-17. It is the Word of God that causes us to grow in respect to salvation, Second 2 Peter 2.2. 2. There's no shortcut, there's no program or book, although you see it in churches these days. God uses His Spirit-empowered Word to conform us to the image of Christ. That's the goal of our salvation. Spiritual leadership and the proclamation of the Word are inseparable, and one element of godly leaders is that they share the Word of God. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. Now, along with that idea of sharing the word of God, the responsibility for leaders is also to protect the flock from threats to the word and thus their souls. We see this in Acts 20. Turn to Acts 20 again. If you kept your finger in there, you might still be there. But Acts 20. So everything centers around feeding, but there are threats to their feeding. There are threats to their walk with Christ. There are bad people out there who disguise themselves. You can look at 2 Corinthians 11. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, and there's no wonder his servants do also. They say they love Jesus, but you'll see it in their actions. Acts 20:28. 20, Be on guard for yourselves. This is to the elders, by the way. And for the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, shepherd, that's to feed them in the context. You can read through that passage. And to protect them, which he purchased with his own blood. They are so valuable. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That's a a metaphor. They're going to come in and they're going to try to destroy the flock, just like wolves with sheep. And from among your own selves, men will arise. That's from the inside. Speaking perverse things or perverted things, basically perversing things. That's how it's said. To do what? To draw away disciples after them. They want you to follow them so subtly. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish one with tears. Paul was broken up over this. So the responsibility of elders to feed the flock, but also protect the flock from threats from without and threats from within. Very important responsibility. There also need to be there to silence those false teachers. Titus 1 again. I'm going to read this for you. You can certainly turn there, but I'll read this. Titus 1, 9. Elders are to be holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, that he may be able to do to both exhort in sound doctrine, and refute those who contradict. Elders need to refute the contradictors. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, that would be Jews at that time, who must be silenced, it says, because they are upsetting whole families teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Now, we don't have time to go over all the other passages about the reasons why. The ladies have been looking at this in James, but the reasons why people want to become teachers. Remember, let not many of you become teachers. The reasons why, it's for sorted of gain. Whether it's the popularity of people, whether they're a hireling just to do the job, whatever it might be. They are hidden reefs in your love feasts. So Paul said, I was broken up over this for three years, warning you to watch over because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I see so clearly those who are not called to be elders, who are elders, who do not do this, and the churches are devastated. Well, they may look like they're doing well, but they're devastated because the flocks are emaciated. So then there's no shortcut programmer book. God uses his word to grow us in respect to salvation, and his leaders bring forth the word of God, and they protect you from threats to the word of God, which is ultimately your relationship with the Lord. We, we, we function by his word, working in our hearts by his spirit. Now we're going to see later on in our passage that elders also have spiritual charge over the flock. They rule over them and they watch over them and they will give an account. First Peter 5, 1 Timothy 5 and Hebrews 13. It's serious business. That's why when we had an elder leave, we haven't appointed one right away. We need time to make sure this one's the right one. This is God's. And praise the Lord, getting close. Now, one other thing, within the church, there are elders who, who watch over the flock, who shepherd the flock's spiritual condition and with the Word of God coming alongside, as we'll see, exhorting, whatever it might be. And there are also elders who have a pastor-teacher gift, who, who preach and teach. There are those also. They're not all the same. Look at 1 Timothy 5.17. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of a double honor, especially in the way the phrase is in the original language, especially it, including this other group in a sense, especially those who do what work hard at preaching and teaching for the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing the labor is worthy of his wages. There are some elders within the body of Christ who have a pastor-teacher gift, Ephesians chapter 4, for the equipping of the saints, the building up of the body of Christ, who work hard at preaching and teaching. They oversee, they lead the flock, they shepherd, they feed, but they also have that teaching gift, as you see. And so then, back to our passage back in 1 Thessalonians. I really can't share all the things about elders, but just a little bit there to kind of think about. You can look at those verses later on to see that it's so... So back to our passage, this young church, less than a year old in the faith. And it's interesting because I think he does, the reason why he doesn't say elders here is because they are so young. God is raising these people up and they're starting to function in that capacity in a sense. And you see that in churches where someone begins to do what God has called them to do and then they're recognized in a sense. They're recognized because that's part of who they are in Christ and they're gifting and they raise up and they're recognized. And so here in this young church, we have the phraseology in this way concerning leaders. He says in verse 12, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. They shepherd the flock among you. Not the flock in Louisiana, but the flock among you. They shepherd the flock of God among you. And he says, appreciate those. There's a plurality of leadership. And so with that, what does our passage say concerning what godly leaders look like? Now, he's going to talk about, and we'll talk about this more specifically, that you appreciate, and also later on, that you hold them in very high esteem. Those are the two commands. We request, we entreat you. You know, Paul, as by the Spirit, is not saying, you must appreciate someone. You You can't be forced to appreciate anybody, right? It has to be a heart change where you see something very important and valuable and you appreciate that. And we're going to see leaders are valuable because of their work, what they do. It is very important. And therefore, they are to be appreciated. It's to be a heart condition that causes one to to respond this way. Well, what do they do? Notice there's three things, and we'll look at each one. He says, we're asking you to appreciate, or literally we'll see, to know. We'll talk about that in a minute. First part, those laboring among you. Second part, those leading you in the Lord and admonishing you. Those who had charge and those who, it says here, labor among you, have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Those who lead you, those who, as we'll see in a minute, admonish you, and those who work hard among you. Now, in this context, the original language, it points to three specific things, but it points to one group doing those three specific things. It's not three different groups doing that, and you appreciate each group separately. And I believe, he's, he's, I believe in that sense it's affirmed by verse 13. He says, and that you esteem them, that's the whole group, very highly in love because of their work. It's the whole nine yards, those three things laboring, leading, and, as we will see, admonishing. So what's the first characteristic from our passage we can see about leadership in the church that we need to understand in terms of those we are to appreciate? He says here, those, first of all, who diligently labor among you. The term diligently labor is not our normal word for work ergon. It speaks of continual strong exertions, struggle, hard work. It can be used to speak of physical labor, becoming weary and tired. It, the word carries that, uh, that, that sense to it, that you've grown weary and tired through that work. He, obviously, he's speaking of leaders in this context. And first of all, he says they diligently labor among you. Well, how do they diligently labor? We're going to certainly see they admonish the flock and they watch over their souls. There's no doubt about that. But this term, diligently work, is often used in the context of the bringing forth the word of God also. First, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man. that's That's what they do. With all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's what the church should be doing, by the way. And for this person, Paul says, I labor, I labor, I exert myself to the point of exhaustion for this purpose, Paul says. We have the same word in 1 Timothy five seventeen that I read earlier, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. It is often used in the context of the word of God coming forth. They struggle, they strive intensely to bring you the Word of God. Those are the ones you appreciate. Ministry, if it's done in the context of yieldedness to the Spirit of God and God's will, where we are to preach the Word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. If that's the case, it is hard work. It is hard work. If you have teaching gifts, if you're leading children's church, you're preaching, teaching a Bible study, whatever it might be, you cannot just walk in on Sunday... And do it. Do you need to hard work in the Word of God with a submitted heart? Lord, I can't understand this. You must illumine this for me. Help me see what you want me to share and what you intended from the Word. Ministry is hard work. It is exhausting work in the Word. I'm not talking about hard work in some workbook or looking for illustrations or stories. Toss all that stuff out and focus on the Word of God. I was taught in seminary. There's lots of sermon websites. I see, I, go to, I see other pastors, and you may not know this if you're in another church, whatever it might be. Their sermons are regurgitated from Rick Warren or Bill Hybels. They just get them and they just regurgitate these series. It's not hard work at all. So many pastors working hard looking for stories and illustrations, looking for applications, trying to figure out ways to get people in the church or keep them in the church. Or looking at the reformer's writings or whatever it might be. Very few pastors diligently working hard, laboring intensely in the word of God to exhaustion. Very few. This passage says appreciate those who diligently labor among you in that context as we'll see. We'll see. They admonish you in a minute. We'll see that. We'll see that. So the woes worthy of appreciation, esteem the Lord, work hard. They struggle and strive to bring forth this. We'll see. I'll show you the Word of God. Elders, And some elders don't preach and teach, yet they work hard in the Word of God as they are trying to rightly divide it and place it across your life to protect you. You'd be surprised how many times someone comes with some weird thing they've heard or whatever it might be or some book, and the research that needs to be done in the Word of God to show them and to explain to them rightly how wrong that is. Those who work hard as they watch over your souls who rightly divide the word of God, who are workmen, not needing to be ashamed, 2 Timothy 2.15, but handling accurately the word of truth. They're workmen. Very few people work hard in what is the most important thing in the church. And notice, besides working hard, another characteristic back in our passage. He says, and have charge over you and the Lord. The term pro it means pro-before, istami, to stand. They stand before you in a sense. They have charge over you. We don't want to hear this. Someone has charge over me? Well, we'll see. It's You're, you're voluntarily submit to that or not. The word has a sense of someone who is responsible, standing before. Appreciate those who are responsible for you, who have charge over you. Romans chapter 12, verse 8, it is translated, he who leads, he who leads. Same word translated as we saw in 1 Timothy 5, 17, those elders who rule well, who rule well. Now, this leadership is biblical servant leadership, obviously. Godly leaders are not overlords or CEOs. They are servant leaders, but yet they still have charge over you, spiritually speaking. They will tell you things in the word to, to direct your heart to follow Christ rightly. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, we see that they're not to lord over, but they're, they have charge, spiritual charge. This is a day when no one wants to hear anything from somebody. No one wants to hear, hey, you know, I'm concerned about where you're at uh, I've been looking at this, and here's what God's Word says, and I love you. You know, no one wants to hear that. kind of go to another church where I can hang out in the back and no one talks to me. 1 Peter 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, and notice Peter's humility, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker of the glory that's to be revealed. Notice what he says. Shepherd the flock. We saw what that is. Feeding, protecting, leading. Addressing sin, as we'll say. He says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain. Hey, not for as uh, the New King James, filthy lucre. Not for what you get out of it. Whether it's money or prestige or what. It, a lot of pastors, don't, it's not the money, it's the prestige. It's people falling. We saw that in Acts. But with eagerness... Not yet as lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And what's that example? We saw that back in Hebrews chapter 13. Remember those who've, who who led you, who, who, who gave you the word of God, and considered the outcome of their conduct, and imitate their faith, their trust in Jesus. That's what you imitate. You imitate their trust in Jesus. He says, being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you're not the chief shepherd, when he appears, he's the chief shepherd, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. The reality is God has placed leadership in the church, but the church these days isn't really the church. Half of it's non-believers who think they're saved, so the leadership structure is totally broken down. But here we see that we are commanded in the body of Christ to submit. I never even thought of anything different in the churches I was in before. Just like, yes. Yes, Lord, there was not even a question. If you've got a changed heart or you haven't been corrupted by sin, by your decisions, there's no question. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders. The term obey is not a very good word these days. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. It's not obeying them when they're telling you what to do about this and this and this. It's obeying them in the context of your spiritual walk with Jesus Christ, and submit to them they say to you look that stuff is no good that naturopathy whatever, that's, not, that's not from the Lord listen to them they share the word of God whatever it might be there's a ton of illustrations look that book the shack that is evil you should not be in that at all you know what I'm saying they're, they're telling you something spiritually to Do obey your leaders they're protecting your soul Small examples. And he says, as those who will give an account, let them do that with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. There is charge in the church, but it's a spiritual charge for the protection of your walk with Jesus Christ. It's not telling you what type of car to drive or, or, or how you should live or should you, you go to the dance or not. It's not saying that. It's talking about your walk with Jesus Christ. Your walk with Jesus Christ. A spiritual charge over you that's what the word says here those are the ones you are to appreciate so if you've never allowed someone to have spiritual charge over you how can you appreciate someone how can you appreciate that if you haven't let your leaders do that folks the world rebels against authority in every relationship unless it does them benefit shouldn't be this way in the body of christ Yet I find many Christians have no idea what it means to submit to godly leadership in the church. Really, truly. So then, we have those. It's interesting, and in an odd contrast, there are those who won't submit to godly leaders, but they submit to ungodly leaders. They accumulate teachers in accordance with their own desires. They don't want to be convicted, so they find a teacher, ultimately, according to the own I They may not even be thinking this, but that's what the Word of God says. They placed themselves in a position to obey and submit to ungodly leaders. But yet, Hebrews 13 says obey and submit to leaders. And in our passage, it talks about appreciating and highly esteeming those in the context, their godly leaders, who have charge over you. We are to obey, submit, and imitate their faith and, esteem and or appreciate and highly esteem elders who are focused on Christ and his word, who feed and protect the flock, who meet the Christ-like characteristics as elders in the scriptures, mature men who will speak the truth in love, who will warn you of threats and false teaching, who will confront you in your sin for the purpose of restoration and protection, who will answer your questions, pointing you to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. You say my elders in the church are not godly. I'd say, first of all, is your analysis based on the scriptures or based on your desire presumption? If it's based on the Word of God and it's really true, then I would get out of there. When we first came to Vancouver area, we went and looked at every church, and we were looking for three things. We didn't come here to start a church. We were looking, first of all, how do they handle the Word of God? i have been in seminary, how they teach you how to do the little sermonettes for Christianettes, all that stuff, you know, not not truly feeding the sheep. How do they handle the Word of God? Do they see it as authoritative? Do they preach it verse by verse? Do they do it in the context of spirit led dependence on Christ, not able to do it apart from themselves? What about worship? Do they exalt Jesus and not self in worship? And lastly, were they elder-run, are they godly men who protect the flock? There's a lot of churches, and you can look at their doctrinal statement and click, it sounds good, but when you go there, you see they're allowing so much sin to go on in their congregations. Not outright sin, but twisted doctrine, twisted uh, ways, the world infiltrated. So that's why we began a church, so we couldn't find that. So back in our passage, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, who have charge over you in the Lord. And if you're a believer, the Lord has placed charge over you in the church that you go to. And you're to appreciate those. You're to appreciate those who do those things, who do those things. Now, again, submission is a dirty word in our culture, but here they have charge. So my question is, are you a rogue Christian, never submitting yourself to the authority of God as he's placed in your, in, in, your, in your life through the church you go to? The way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. God's a good God. He loves you. He wants you to function properly in his church. He wants you to grow in the grace and knowledge of his son. And so for us, how are we to function in the body of Christ? These last commands, the first ones are about how you treat your leadership. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, who have charge over you in the Lord. And then the last one, give you instruction. Now, I prefer the NASB translation, and I like the New King James. But here, the New King James gets it right. The NASB gets it wrong, I believe. New King James says, and admonishes you. The NASB tries to add in their understanding of, you know, leadership by putting the word instruction, I think. And I think it's not really the best translation. The term here, translated give you instruction, comes from the Greek word nuthateo. Nuth means uh, mind and thateo means place. It means to put into the mind. And it's translated almost consistently to admonish or warn or warn. We see that, to put into the mind. One pastor writes, The function of leaders is admonishing the flock. To admonish, to warn, instruct literally means to put into the mind. Could speak of general instruction, but is often used where there are wrong tendencies needing correcting. It involves a moral appeal to the will, but one based on understanding through biblical instruction. I agree with that. It's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. We saw it earlier. He says, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching. I find admonishment is missing in the church these days. You go to church, you don't even feel convicted or admonished. You hear about Jesus, you hear the Bible verses make you feel good, but we're not admonished. We need to be admonished. I need to be admonished. We are sinners. We are so close to straying in our hearts and minds every minute, even though we're on our way to glory. This tense is in a specific tense, continual habitual admonishment, continual habitual warning. And if you don't like that, you don't like God's leaders, because it says right here, who continually, habitually admonish. Those are the ones you appreciate. Look at the New King James, they translate it right. They admonish you, they admonish you. If you're in a biblical church, you're going to be admonished from the pulpit. It's just the bottom line. You're going to be admonished from your elders. Bad and dangerous churches never or rarely admonish concerning sin. They may admonish concerning social issues, but not concerning personal sin. Christ is the head of the church, not us. We do not decide how his church functions. It's his church. He paid for it with his own blood. And he says here, the ones that are to be appreciated are those who continually... Admonish, continually place into your mind, warn, instruct. Godly leaders continually habitually admonish. You could say it this way, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those diligently laboring among you, having charge over you in the Lord, and literally admonishing you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend but deceitful, the kisses of an enemy. If you've got a pastor who just speaks glossy things about Jesus and stuff and never gets to the reality of the fact that we are one thought away from sinning, that we are sinners, that God is saved by his grace and there's no condemnation, but yet he wants to conform us to the image of his son, that we need to be admonished, then maybe it's time to look for something else. Hebrews 13:7. And remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. That's how they led you. And again, I find it very rare these days in churches that there's any admonishment going on and the doors are open for ungodness. The grace of God has been turned into licentiousness. Certain men have crept in unnoticed. See that in Jude. And therefore you have a whole culture of people that if they are admonished by the word, they can't take it. Tell you that right now. They're offended or they completely reject it because they are so conditioned to the teaching they have tuned their ears and been tickled by for so long. But leaders admonish the flock. I was so thankful when I had pastors admonishing me. I'm so thankful. So thankful. I need it. We're sinners. We need it. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, have charge of you in the Lord, and give you instruction or literally admonish you. That's a small snapshot of what God of leadership is in a very early church. And then we saw those other passages in Acts 20, 1 Timothy 3 and 5, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, and Acts, and Hebrews 13 that give us a fuller picture. But this is a small picture in our passage that gives us an idea of what leadership looks like. They work hard. Specifically, I believe in the word. They oversee, they have charge of you, and they admonish you. If you speak, speak as though the very oracles of God. It's with the Word of God. So how are we to treat our leaders? Notice what he says here, that you appreciate. The term "appreciates" is an interesting word because it means to know or to recognize. It comes from the Greek word oida, which speaks of a knowledge that comes from experience. To have learned something by experience and come to know that, to arrive at knowledge. It speaks of respect and appreciation that's based on knowledge, on knowledge. And I think uh, the term appreciation is probably the best translation here. You could, some would say, get to know or appreciate your leaders, those who diligently labor among you, who have charge over you, who, la- who admonish you. He's not saying recognize the chair of the building committee. He's not saying know who the treasurer is. He's not saying know who the senior pastor is. He's saying, get to know them from that knowledge, appreciate them. Get to know who they are in the Lord, and from that knowledge, appreciate them. And uh, one pastor writes, he says, it's very easy to be unkind and critical to those you don't know. To those you don't know. Get to know them. You say, how can I know you? Well, the way you know somebody is to, to hear what they say. The reality is you've got to be around them, right? You need to have communication. You can't know someone. You know, think about uh, you know, people who are dating before they get married. They, they, they get to know each other by communicating together. There's an interaction. And, folks, you guys wonder, well, how do we get to know you? The reality is you, you know me really well if you listen to what I say on Sundays. This is my heart. It's no different anywhere else. It's the same thing. You know me. You know my heart. Appreciate those who do this. Appreciate them. And I do feel appreciated. And this doesn't say actually flatter, by the way. It says appreciate. Flattery is evil. Flattery is speaking well of someone for for truth reasons or false reasons, but for the sake of gaining advantage over them or for elevating self. That's flattery. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about appreciation because they work hard They have charge of the Lord and they admonish you. And as we'll see in a moment, it's because that work is very important. And so God says to appreciate. If you're functioning within a body and the leadership is doing this, get to know them, appreciate them. Appreciate them. But notice he says something else also. Verse 13, and that you esteem them very highly in love. This is a... In the context of agape love, it's God's love through us. It's His love that flows through us when we abide in Him. You can't do it unless you're abiding in Jesus, trusting in Him. It's His love. And then, in the context of that love, which is His love, which sees others as more important than yourself, it says it esteem them very highly. The term esteem says it really means to make a decision after weighing the facts. So yes, I'm being fed, I'm being admonished, um, uh, they have charge over me, they work hard, I'm weighing the facts. And he says, consider, respect, esteem, and then he says, very highly, or literally, it's just, just, you know, I don't really like teaching these but it's right here, uh, beyond measure. It carries the sense of exceedingly, esteem godly leaders, I put that in there because that's what it's talking about. Beyond measure. Beyond measure. One pastor writes, he says, uh, our view of our leaders should be abundantly out of bounds beyond measure. You say, that's landed it on a little thick, don't you think? It's one thing to hold my leaders in high regard, but to hold them so high it goes beyond measure? That's ridiculous. Keep in mind, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God that these leaders, leaders God has appointed and when viewed from that light, what other kind of attitude would be fitting? That's what he says. Esteem them very highly, and that's those who meet these qualifications. If you're not being admonished to the Word of God, there's no esteem. If you're not being built up in a sense, you're not not the labor's not happening. You're not being watched over spiritually speaking. He says, esteem them beyond measure, beyond measure. First thing in the commands, he says, here's how how the, the flocks to treat their leaders. Now, I didn't just pick this passage out of the blue today to come and say esteem me or whatever, esteem leadership. This is we're going through this book, and this is what it says. This is where we're at. Now, why should we appreciate them? Notice in our passage towards the end of verse 13, because of their work. That's the reason. Don't hold me in high esteem because of a position. Esteem those, me and those whom the Lord raises up, who give you the word of God, who admonish you, who watch over you. That's the reason. That's the reason. Appreciate highly esteemed godly leaders who protect you, who admonish you, who feed you the word of God, who point you to the sufficiency of Christ alone, the word of God. Appreciate, esteem godly leaders because of their work. Another pastor says, esteem them very highly in love, value them. In other words, understand that though they may have personal idiosyncrasies that may be hard to handle on occasion, we all have those. Recognize that their work is important and that they should be esteemed for that reason. For that reason. So then we've seen how the flock is to treat their shepherds, those who work hard in the Word, who oversee and admonish. Get to know them, appreciate them, get to know them appreciate them you know every godly leader i've ever been around or known is, is approachable i think maybe have that fear of you know whatever it might be but you know if you're willing to put yourself out before them they're approachable and do so because of their work because of their work well, let's finished. notice what he says here an interesting statement it seems to be disconnected and maybe speaking of something else but he says in the end of verse 13 live in peace with one another you say why is he put that here now You all, literally, be at peace within yourselves. There's nothing more disconcerting or painful for leaders than discord or disunity in the body of Christ. I'll tell you that right now. You all be at peace within yourselves. Esteem your leaders. Hold them very high in love because of their work. And be at peace among yourselves. You all be at peace. Don't stir up strife, division, dissension. You know, they watch over your souls, Hebrews 13. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Live at peace. It's very unprofitable for you to become a burden to your leadership because you are interfering with God's helping of you through them. They're watching over your souls. So then, how are we to treat our leaders in Christ? How do we respond? We are to appreciate them, to highly esteem them in the context of love, not because of their personality, leadership style, whatever it is, but because of their work. And then we are to be at peace within ourselves in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And, Lord, sometimes it's very strong and needs to be because we we need it desperately. And, Lord, we are so often such rebellious in our hearts where we don't submit to things whether it's you or things you say in your word whether it's uh, within the church help us lord god to walk rightly before you to submit to you to trust you that you're good and that your intentions are always good for us and that you place leadership over us for our good because you love us and you want us to become more like Christ lord i pray that this body would continue to do so appreciate leaders and hold them in high esteem because of the work, and that leaders would do so diligently labor, would uh, watch over and admonish as you lead and direct. I pray this in Jesus' name.